gosh, I mean, it'll be 16 years in a couple weeks that I've had him. He is 16 in a few months. I got him when he was a tiny, tiny, tiny puppy. Um, and he's just really old. But we had noticed over the last couple months that, like, he had been really kind of low energy and just didn't seem so hot around the house. But when we would take him out for a walk and he would see other dogs, he would sort of perk up and seem a little more uh, energetic and lively. And so, really, even though they haven't totally – he has not totally warmed up to Luna because, you know, she doesn't listen to him um, and he's used to being in charge – he yeah. is definitely like reengaged with life a little bit, and and that was kind of the point. So uh, so far, so good. All right, that makes some sense. I wanted him to have a buddy for his uh, twilight years. All right, uh, you, you ready to uh, engage in some culture? I sure am. Um, let's uh, let's start with the homework. Um, uh, probably we should probably start with Obi Wan, right? Like that's that's the show people are watching. Yeah, where are you on this? Uh, I, I feel like, uh, the Mandalorian was an exciting journey into the possibilities of Star Wars and Star Wars television. You know, and I think it is notable that, uh, Star Wars as a franchise and Disney as a corporate entity have sort of been like, Hey, you know what? Actually TV is what we meant to do with this all along. And this is where the stories are going to be. So, um, you know, I, I do feel like there's more of this coming, and I'm a little bit concerned uh, in that everything since The Mandalorian, to me, has just felt like a copy of a copy in the old Fight, fight Club parlance. You know right. what I mean? Like I, I would say Boba Fett versions of The Mandalorian, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, Boba Fett felt a little less like that to me, um, but I think that's a super accurate and unfortunate description of this show. Um and also just, I got to say, like, I I am perhaps overly sensitive to things like continuity and um, just, like, full engagement from the participant. I don't even know how to describe it. There are some scenes and moments in this show where it's like, did something weird happen? Because that, like, movement didn't work. Like, that. There's a scene where Ewan McGregor, who plays Obi-Wan, is chasing around the little girl who plays Leia, who is by far, by the way, by far the best part of the show, the little girl who plays can, Leia. Can I, I, I don't mean to interrupt your point, but can I ask you a little bit of what's going on with Leia here? Because, like, she looks like she's six. She's, you know, at one point says, tells, you know, Obi-Wan that she's 10. Yeah, I think she's supposed to be 10. She talks like she's 45. Right. So, like, it's, well, it's, that's sort of a classic. I mean, that's the classic, like, precocious, cute child, right? She's she's wise beyond her years. I mean, it's, it's yeah. beyond that, though. Like, she, like, it's clearly a thing that they want to, because she's doing it repeatedly, where right. she's, like, deeply reading the psychology of people to their faces. Right. You know what it's I mean? It's not just that she is clever. It's that she seems to, like, understand the essence of everyone around her in a, in a remarkable way. And, and I guess maybe, like, it's it's a you know she's stronger in the force than she realizes sort of thing. I don't know. I, you're right, but that doesn't bother me because I find that little girl delightful. But, I'm not saying it bothers me. It's just I find it a little confusing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's a little much. I'm not. I, it's a little much, but I like it. Uh, the, when she said ten, I was like ten. <laughs> 
Um, she Sorry. does look six, but I yeah. some ten year olds probably look six. I don't know. Uh, I, I my experience stops at three years old, so I I am not familiar with children above three. Um, that being said, there is a scene where Obi Wan is chasing her through like a crowded market, and there are times where it looks like me pretending to chase my three year old because like. I could very easily catch him any time if I wanted to. But <laughs> I I'd... thought the same thing about uh, Flea chasing her through the woods. Yeah, like, <laughs> like and I don't understand. This should be a short chase. Right, and, but it's not just that, like, logically it should be a short chase. It's that visually they don't – it doesn't work. Yeah. They, like, they do, like, exaggerated, you know, swings and misses where, like, why didn't you just grab her? You know what I mean? Like, stuff like that. It's hard for me to understand how you screw that up with all the acting talent you could ask for in theory and billions of dollars. Like my biggest criticism of this, I I think I could live with a copy of a copy if it was better executed. You know, it's not going to be exciting like the Mandalorian was, but this was at times hard for me to watch. Um, And I, I find that upsetting. (laughs) quite frankly like you have so much money and so much possibility and i'm gonna give credit here because it was a friend of mine uh who said this on twitter but my buddy was tweeting about this show and in a disappointed fashion and one of the things he said was you know maybe instead of trying to fill in these alleged gaps between films that nobody really cared about like tell us new stories and that's what the mandalorian and to a lesser extent boba fett were and i think certainly the mandalorian works a lot better than this and is a lot more interesting and and i think there's an idea that oh well people are desperate to know what happened to obi-wan between the end of episode three and the start of a new hope and i'm just not sure that's true I'm sure it's true for so I'm sure that it's true for a portion of people. Well, but it's it's true for a portion. It's true for yeah. a, a selection of people that would watch anything with the name Star Wars on it. Right. That's correct. That is correct. And I I, I agree. And I, and to clarify, when I say copy of a copy, like it's not necessarily like the, you know I would say that definitely about Boba Fett too. But Boba Fett wasn't unwatchable. I watched all of that season. It just was. Yeah. Not as it was the the thrill is gone a little bit. And you maybe what that's mean? what I mean. Right. Is like. Boba Fett was enjoyable. Yes, it was. It 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 did not feel super original like the Mandalorian did, but it was enjoyable. And this, sadly, uh, through I have watched all three episodes. It just, I'm kind of waiting for it to be more enjoyable, and I'm worried it's not going to. Yeah, well, and I feel like, um, you know, hanging out with Obi Wan Kenobi, whether it be bummer. on Tatooine or. Yeah, or or you know, kind of like through this like sort of yakuza like streets of some other planet. You know what I mean? Like that should be fun. Yes. And it's not that fun. It's not that fun. I'm I happy. don't. I have more fun in uh, Ewan McGregor's Travelocity commercials or whatever those are. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> where, where he's like, you do you remember the stuff you buy? You regret the stuff you didn't buy or the places you didn't go? And I'm like, oh, that's right. Well, and uh, look, okay. uh, you know. Uh, you think back to some of Ewan McGregor's great performances and, uh, you know, train spotting is the first thing that comes to mind. And maybe that's going too far back, but like he can be fun. He can be engaging. Yeah, and 100%. his Obi-Wan is just this sad 
kind of pathetic, boring guy. And uh, it's a bummer. Hanging out with Obi-Wan is a bummer. Yeah. I do think uh, the Jedi Hunter, uh, I don't even know what the people Third are sister. called. Um, doing a good, doing some good heel work. Like yes. that character legitimately made me angry a couple of times. Totally. <laughs> totally. And so, look, you know, Darth Vader's still cool. Uh, but it's just, there's, there's just, this is not as enjoyable as it should be. It is not. And by the way, it also, uh, you know, it somewhat of an unfortunate symptom. This is apparently that actors is getting a bunch of racial based harassment, which sucks. Yeah. Well, so, nerds can be the worst. Uh, we know that. Nerds can be the worst. I, I say that uh, as a nerd. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, pretty much anyone seems to be capable of being the worst these days. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's yeah. true. Uh, all right. Speaking of the worst. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, uh, man. Move, let's move on to Reese Darby, High Flying Bird. Or, or what, Mystic Time Bird, whatever. Who cares? Honestly, who cares? Don't look for it. I... Yeah. I don't understand. I want to. I want to try to say this in the most sensitive way possible, because I quite enjoy Reese Darby as an actor, and we'll get to more of that in a bit. Um, I think he can be absolutely fall down hilarious. Uh, the Flight of the Concords tr- jumps to mind. I don't know what he's doing here. A- uh, so much of this special is about how hard it was for him to return to stand up after the passing of his mother. And I have a ton of sympathy for that. And also I think maybe he still wasn't ready. Because... I would argue that he has not returned to stand up. Yeah. That, I think that's fair. That <laughs> it, it was not really stand up comedy and it sure wasn't funny. Hardly at all. I mean, a no, couple I... of little smiles, I guess, but really this... not funny and not, not deep enough to be not funny. Yep. This was the, the the experience of watching it for me, and and honestly, the one way that I would recommend it for you, if you did not check out the, you know, if you didn't do the homework on this one, is that like about ten minutes in, I was like, wow, I haven't laughed yet, and I hit the pause, and and I realized that this was there was a punishing seventy two more minutes yeah. left to go, mm-hmm. and then by the time I got to the twenty, I was like, still, I still haven't laughed yet, yeah. and. I somewhere along the way I realized that this we were looking at a Don Larson in the fifty five World Series or whatever situation that I might get through this without <laughs> him landing life. a joke. And you know, it did by the end, it had that sort of like, oh dude, turn on the turn on the game. So and so's gonna know hit or go into the eighth. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he got there. He, I didn't laugh once. Not one funny thing in this whole show. And this is like, like I said, I was not against watching this. Uh, I like Reese Darby in many things, including the thing we'll talk about next. Yep. Uh, but uh, this was this was a a perfect game of unfunny. Yeah, I, I honestly don't even know what to say. Like, I just, I could not have imagined something so unfunny. Yeah. I, I I honestly I don't know what he was doing here and I don't know if like I've never seen his stand up before which is part of the reason I was excited so I don't know if you know he's had past stand up specials or or performances that were really funny but uh, yeah I I don't know what he was trying to do but I I don't think it worked 
no, it, yeah, it would say largely unsuccessful. And I'm sorry, you know, like it clearly it was just a personal thing. He made it for his mom. The Barbie Darby uh Bar Darby Barbie. Yeah. That was the closest that was the closest I got to laughing the whole show, actually. Yeah, I mean uh, he did that whole thing about the ATM that just was not funny and like was not not like I don't want to call it racist, but it wasn't it, it was like a cousin of racist. <laughs> <clears throat> um and I, again, not in a malicious way. It was just like, what is the point of this? And why are you doing this whole thing? It, it involved dancing and noises and running back and forth. And it just wasn't funny. A lot, um, of, noises. A lot of noises. I don't. I, and and that's the other thing. Like his thing as a stand up seems in part to be noises. And he's not that good <laughs> at the yep. noises. Like he's fine. Not like the dude from Police Academy where it's like, how do you do that? You know? <laughs> God, I forgot about that guy. Um, what's that guy doing now? Great question. <laughs> All right. Um, let's 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 move on to our flag means death, um, which I, you know, I, I think is a way, way more successful of uh, a uh, show i don't i don't have a ton to say about this like i think if you liked what we do in the shadows um it's very much kind of in that vein you know what i mean uh, well, people are supposed to be scary but are sort of incompetent at it and, i would say and this the right at the is. beginning right I, all that's true but but like the the first thing there are more laughs from reese darby alone in the first 30-minute episode than in the 82 minutes of alleged stand-up special that we watched. This is a funny show. Yes. Yes, it is a funny show all the way around. And it's a funny show with a deep cast. You know, yes. In a way, this is also a workplace comedy. It's a workplace that you will enjoy, you know? Um, so, you know, the bad guys are good but funny. You know what I mean? Like, yep. it's... It, it it this is a this is a well built show and I could see it running for a long time. Totally, totally. It's it's really enjoyable stuff and and yeah. I mean, I think what we do in the shadows is a good sort of test case of if that's your kind of thing, you're really gonna like this. But even if that's not your thing, like I just think there's a lot of laughs in this show, and it has some uh, sort of character actors that you will recognize and enjoy. Speaking of Train Spotting earlier, the other guy from Train Spotting plays a hilarious sort of first mate character in this um i believe taika waititi will show up at some point in this reese darby is very funny uh unlike his stand-up special <laughs> and uh yeah just all oh hodor hodor is here hodor is here nat faxon who uh, i enjoy is maybe not a name that you know but you've seen him in a lot of things yes and he's doing an absolutely incomprehensible accent that makes no sense which i found funny um oh Taika Waititi's in it already, by the way. At least, or at least for the I don't know how many episodes you watched. I watched three. Yeah, you've seen him. He's Blackbeard. Oh, okay. Well, we we didn't actually see his face. You do see his face at the, or maybe I've seen four, maybe I've seen more. Than I you think have, you've but... watched four. Yeah. Oh no, you know what? I only watched two. That's what it is. Gotcha. That's what it is. Okay. I only watched two because he the, he's like Smokey. I thought that was probably him. Um, but yeah, I watched two. So I just watched the shipwrecked one last night. Yeah. Also, some really good guest stars. Les, like Leslie Jones shows up. Yeah. I don't name got to that. Fred Fred Armisen shows up as well. I 
they should probably warn you. All survive. Um, <laughs> Tim Heidecker's uh, is is in later ones. Christian Shaw, Nick Kroll. So yeah, it'll be it's just good good times. Um, ooh, Will Arnett as well. Ooh. Um, yeah. So uh, so this one's a solid recommend. Let's get to the let's get to Top Chef, baby. It's time. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Uh, you said it got dusty in the Madden household. I will go a step further and say I had literal tears on my face when Buddha was talking about his dad. Um, yeah, that was that was the the definitely the most emotional part. I thought, but lots of lots of great moments. You know, so many great moments. So many great dishes in in this episode and just you know we talked about what we sort of saw for the finale uh last week and i think we nailed it it's three chefs with their own completely unique perspective who are all very different but all capable of tremendous stuff and as much as Sarah did things that were totally unique to her and and really very special she just wasn't quite on the consistency level of Evelyn, who wasn't quite as explosively incredible as Buddha. You know, they were three excellent chefs, but Buddha has really been the wire-to-wire leader, and it felt right that he won. I believe someone at the table used the word perfect to describe every single one of his dishes. Yeah, although I'd say that uh, outside of... The the first course, I think I think they did find some flaws in all of them. You sure. know what I mean? They they always uh, do. But yeah. like someone said, perfect or flawless about everything he put on the table. Like one or the other of the judges, and, and like there were some awesome moments too. Ed Lee putting the Bunuelo in his jacket pocket. Like you the can tell. Uh, well, he looked incredible. I love that guy. It's <laughs> um, just uh, on a side note, anything. Top Chef, anything that you guys have Dale doing, fire him and give it to Ed Lee, who's a much more enjoyable person. Um, Dale drives me out of my mind. Dale's cut to Dale going, hey! Well, there was an ad. I don't know if you saw, but there was an ad during the commercials about, uh, you know, Dale is going to break down the dishes for you. Like, see him on bravo.com or whatever. And, like, I don't want to see Dale, like... Catching strays, man. <laughs> I don't want to see Dale being obnoxious about these incredible pieces of food. Like, whatever. Uh, anyway, I, l- let's not focus on that. The, the, the judge's table was truly impressed, you know, to a level that I'm, I, you know, I just don't. All the, uh, There's always great food in finals, you know. The top chefs are always incredible chefs. But this season really did feel a level above to me throughout, and I think the final lived up to that. I would I would agree with that absolutely, um, and I think everyone was kind of doing an interesting version of themselves. I, you know, I applaud Sarah for. Re- I think she swung the biggest of yeah. all these people, and and like you said, your her execution just wasn't quite up to it. You know what I mean? Like that rabbit dish. Uh, the technique required, and I think even Eric Repair of all people uh, remarked upon that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she didn't, she just didn't quite nail it. You know what I mean? But like, the highest concept in all of them. You know, and then you got Buddha, who I think even for Buddha was really bringing out all the tricks. This was him almost at his most like 
Richard Blazy Wild yeah. Wiley Dufresne, you know what he I mean? He even said that at one point. He was like, I got a whole arsenal that I haven't used yet, and I'm going to break that out right now. Yeah. And I think Evelyn was the only one who wasn't like the most Evelyn that she could be, but she was still pretty Evelyn, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, she so, was. Um, you know, and, and I, I had said all the time, you know, I let, you know, to me, I was sort of less convinced that this was sort of a wire to wire thing, um, for Buddha, although obviously Buddha was great throughout, uh, and, and it was entirely unsurprising that he won. I mean, right. that's, you know, when you talk to people, he's always the name that comes up first. Right. I, I do think that, um, Evelyn quite capable and quite often did beat him on her day. Yeah. And I just think that. This was not – it just wasn't her best day. You know what I mean? No, it wasn't uh, her best day, but but I think both Sarah and Evelyn put out a four-course meal that would have won half of the seasons of Top Chef. I agree. I, Evelyn and I don't – you know, I don't have any – there's no indication in the show that, that she didn't. Like, she should absolutely walk away from this with her held up, head held high. Like, she cooked her ass off the entire time. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Sarah in her own way as well. Obviously, some bumps early, but the way she performed in Last Chance Kitchen, the way she performed, generally speaking, when she got back in the competition, like, all three finalists deserve a ton of credit. I, I will say, <laughs> just randomly, were you surprised when Buddha picked Jackson? Uh, only mildly. Only mildly. Like, he got back, and only when he arrived was someone like, hey, how's the taste buds? <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, it, it seemed pretty clear that he didn't need them. You know yeah. what I mean? So. And I guess as a sous chef, you probably need them even less. But um, I was a little surprised that he took the guy who couldn't smell or taste during the competition. That said, we talked through throughout Jackson's entire time on the show about how good he was. Um, it was not surprising that Evelyn picked Joe because they clearly have a, a great relationship. Um, I was a little surprised at the Robert selection, but I think he and Sarah also have sort of an independent relationship. And look, everyone did a good job, man. I, I, it's what? Yeah, I remember when like, Sarah was on the show, Robert was still on the show. Right? That's true. Yeah. And, and and I think like, you know, it's uh, what you want for one of these final episodes is that everybody does well. And that's what happened. And, and I do think the best man won. And um, I, I think... It was as good a triple four course meal as anyone could ever have. So I'd like I don't know what more you can ask for from a finale and, and generally from a season of Top Chef. I'm just sad it's over. Yeah, it was it was a great one. It was uh, really beautiful. Some beautiful moments. Uh, I really you know obviously they've done this before in previous finales, um, but uh, I I really loved the uh, the dinner that the uh, judges. And Eric Repair, <laughs> um, you know, made for the contestants, uh, and, and just kind of like the the vibe of that uh, was really great. I think Eric Repair is such a fantastic choice for the finale. I mean, there's legendary, pretty much every legendary chef has been on Top Chef at some point. Yeah, but every chef seems to have a particular reverence for him that I think you could really feel. In that show, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, like all of them are like, we're making food for Eric Repair. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like, um, and so I think that was really cool. You know, obviously, uh, you know, Buddha made a dish inspired by Eric Repair, which uh, which turned out to be the best dish of the day. So that was kind of neat. It was just, it was just a good choice. Um, 
and it was it was a good final table with like a lot of people that you're familiar with and comfortable with the way that they evaluate food and yeah i just you know four stars man you know yeah it's it was a great it was a great season and in a worthy finale to it yeah, and by the way, a dish inspired by Eric Repair, and then a dish inspired by the French Laundry, where the judges literally said, "This is as good as the French Laundry." Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> that's something right there. Yeah, she's like, "You're standing, you're standing on the shoulders of giants," basically. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, there was another moment too where Evelyn talked about being in this competition as a contestant from Houston and how much she learned about Houston in all of this. Um, you know, that's some of the magic of the show. Like, I, I really do think that they, they dig pretty deep into the culture of, of a place and, and are very present to how much locality matters in food, even, and, and it and remains the same when they change locations. So, um, you know, it's another a lovely aspect of, of this show. Yeah. I, I'm again, like the, the overwhelming emotion other than, how much i enjoyed it is just i can't believe it's going to be another like nine months before we get to watch top chef again i know is it really gonna be another nine months i mean i'm just throwing that out there but it oh. seems like it's only once a year right it's, it seems fairly likely doesn't it i feel like uh-huh. top chef needs to franchise itself in some way like the challenge is currently doing um yeah well i mean clearly they have right well there's a you know did your uh, – I don't know if you watched it on DVR, but my DVR automatically was yes. taping Top Chef family style yep. right after. Clearly, um, that, that's got to be a Bravo gimmick. They've, like, combined them into a single thing so that when you record the first, you also get the second on the DVR, which, quite frankly, suggests to me that not very many people are watching Top Chef family oh. style. Um, we have watched it a bit, and I don't but- hate it. But it's just I will say it's successful because the last two weeks I've I have watched Top Chef Family Style. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's perfectly entertaining and and sometimes really fun. But it's it's just not it's a it's a bit of a letdown after the uh, flagship. Yeah, I mean you know copy of a copy again. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so and that's you know that's kind of what you get. But you I will say I- like Marcus Samuelson makes a great host person. Yeah, uh, but Megan Trainer's fine, but uh, Marcus <laughs> Samuelson is is wildly enjoyable, even if you're just there to look at his clothes. Yeah, and he ha- they have him on the right one. You know yes. what I mean? Yes, so. he's great with the kids. Um, you know that's yeah, that's perfect. Um, all right. Um, should we talk about the challenge? Yeah, we're cruising right on through. We might actually have a short episode, although I just jinxed happen? us. <laughs> there is plenty to get into. Yeah. In, uh, in, in this episode of the challenge, should I, I should I just clear out and let you rant about Beth? Yeah, man. Uh, okay. Um, this horrible woman, who's been nothing but horrible in her history on this show, and who every time she comes back lies about being a different person because she's exactly the same person she has shown. I mean, I don't know her. But in terms of this show, she has shown zero personal growth. And to come on a show as a replacement, quit half of the things you have an opportunity to do, and start a senseless and vile 
rumor, not even start, just try to start because nobody's buying it. But just try to start a senseless and vile rumor that could actually mess with someone's family life? Like, what's wrong with you? What kind of absolutely despicable person behaves that way? And then she has the gall to giggle into the camera and say, it's just the challenge, it's not real life. No, but you're fucking with people's real lives. Like, what is, what, truly, what is wrong with you? Who hurt you, is what I want to ask her. Like, what compels you to behave like a human apocalypse? It's disgusting. To the point where I do not even find her an enjoyable villain anymore. I truly find myself wishing horrible things on her, and I definitely don't ever want to see her again. And beyond being terrible... Like, okay, I suppose there's an argument for terrible people on the challenge. It it can occasionally make for good TV. But if she's going to quit half the challenges, she she can't come back. She she does not belong here. She cannot be here. It's bad. It's bad TV. And, And the notion that it's unfair because people in the gallery are shouting to one of the competitors in an elimination, that's every single elimination. Yeah, yeah, that that was terrible. I, I mean, that I, is like, like I don't <laughs> like clearly she's been in enough eliminations to know that she's I'm sure she's been helped in many eliminations. Yeah. Like that is that is what it is. I, I don't I don't really understand that part at all. I just, you know, when when she and Veronica were sort of hashing out some of their past beef, Veronica kind of nailed it. Right. Like there was a feeling in the house that. Some people were hunting for camera time. And I think that that um, Beth has gone like I think that Beth has just never changed that playbook. Like she just came for camera time and that she was saying what she was saying to get camera time. She was not caring about not participating in events because that also would give her some camera time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And make her part of the center of things. And that's what she cared about. And that's what she got. And like, I don't know. Like if if you're, she just seems like the worst choice for a replacement contestant for an alternate contestant. You know what I mean? Like if you're have her in the cast originally, okay, maybe I guess, I guess that makes some sense. But like, you can't bring in someone to play the game. Who's not going to want to be in half the games. Right. Yeah. Um, And it really, Seemed like they had a hand in keeping her around for, like, yep. most likely she would have got lost in an elimination. They just gave her, like, the perfect elimination. So. Yep. Against um, the perfect person, sort of. Yeah. So, like, I, I, I didn't really understand any of it. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine that she's worth enough from an entertainment, like, appearance fee standpoint um, to the show for them to, to keep bringing her back. I way. just I, I I sincerely would like to know who enjoys having her on television because I can't imagine who that person would be. Well, and, and even her drama starting, I feel like, is less effective now because she doesn't have the same type of relationships with the contestants. And the yeah. ones most ones that she does, I, I guess, Nehemiah and maybe like Cyrus or exceptions. Cyrus is gone mostly, but yeah. the, I think. Right. But for the most part, like they. People aren't even interested. They're like, no. yeah, whatever, <laughs> whatever, Beth. You yeah. know, and like, she really is old enough to be Kayla's mom. Like, it's time. It's kind of time. It's kind of time. Yeah, she you needs know? to never come back. 
And, and and look, if she's if she was an awful person, but at least brought it when it came time for competition, I would have to like grudgingly say, okay. I mean, I guess I can see it, but to be awful in a not particularly entertaining way and then also not interested in competing like you don't belong here you do not belong here and frankly like as far as the camera time stuff i totally agree with you but i think it's downright despicable that she's not embarrassed to be on camera doing those things you're 50 years old you're 50 years old and you think a little camera time is worth making her again like to say that someone is cheating on their husband someone with a family with kids at home for no reason with no basis is just yuck it's just yuck yeah a lot of yuck and that's the thing it's like i don't think that she's an awful person i think she's playing an awful person on television which is even worse you know what i mean yeah um because it's it's you know you, you know whatever criticisms you have about Jordan or whatever is a human being like at least you're getting authentic Jordan you, that's right. you know what I mean that's right <laughs> so, um you know and and this I don't I don't think that you're really getting authentic Beth and I don't know that I ever have you know no. so she seems to think that's entertaining and it just I can tell her it's not it's absolutely yeah. not she's literally running playbook from like the second or third season of reality television ever you know what I mean and right. You know, yeah. it's like it's- when when none of them had real lives to mess up. Right. Like like the whole. <laughs> yeah, I just I she she turns my stomach in a way that that does not make for entertaining television. So I sincerely hope I never, ever see her again in my life. <laughs> All right. Uh, there you go. I, I'm going to guess maybe that you will at so, at some point. Yeah. Unfortunately, you're probably right. On the other hand. Beyond Beth's despicable antics i actually thought this was a really interesting episode I, before we get to beyond i just want to do you think that this performance was one of the worst elimination performances in challenge history by beth specifically yeah best best elimination was that the worst elimination we've ever seen um i mean in terms of eliminations where someone actually began the game yeah to try. i think it was yeah because like we've, we've had people their ass kicked but it, this was just sad you know yeah. what i mean yeah she was she got up there looking for an excuse to quit and that's exactly what she did uh it yeah. was really truly pathetic if you were gonna quit just quit ahead of time like other losers have done in the history of the show but uh, yeah just, just pathetic. And then to pretend like it. She wanted about Tina last season, but she wouldn't have put us through that. You know what I mean? No, never, never. I don't think Tina would even be capable of doing a game and not trying. You know what I mean? Like most of the people on this show, flaws and all, want to compete. At some level, have a drive to compete, and Beth just doesn't. No, no. Um. I don't buy though the notion that uh, <laughs> we got we got to get Beth out of this house. Like for for gameplay, I actually think keeping her around would have would have been a smarter move. What by the way, what did well, you but think? Don't you of- think? Hold on, just on that point, don't you think that suggests how awful she is to be around? Like the <laughs> one thing that all the people in the house, every single person in this house, is desperate 
to have a weak player to compete against so they can win, right? And every single person in this house besides Beth wants to win. And the only thing that all of them can agree on is they want to get this weak competitor out because she's so difficult to be around. <laughs> You're right. That's right. And even right, like even the allies, like you know, like Kendall's like, well, I don't really have a choice. I guess I got to make friends with Beth, uh, you know. But and even Nehemiah is like, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess I have a relationship outside of the show, and I guess we're kind of friends. But like, I can't get behind any of this. She's toxic in this game, right? Yeah. yeah like. Yeah. The, the men clearly have this game figured out a lot better than the women do right now. And I um, I cannot understand for the life of me how anyone who's not in the treehouse has not looked around and figured out that it's treehouse versus the rest of us or we're screwed. Yeah. Like, I, I'm baffled by this. This is uh, – we've had these situations a couple times over the last handful of seasons of the challenge where uh, the, the difference is usually – the people who get bamboozled and and fail to team up in the way that they have to to preserve themselves, they're usually like rookies and they came from Big Brother or something, right? So it's like they don't get the game. All these people are former finalists. How do you not get the game? <laughs> like, I don't – even though – even right this ring toss game, which I think you know TJ sort of alluded to, was designed to sort of – help you figure out where people stand in the game a little bit. Even after that, like, I can't believe they weren't looking around at each other, the non-treehouse girls, and going, oh, wait, look, everybody yet has left at the treehouse. This seems like it's going to be a problem for us, you know? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe we need to figure out how to work together. Yeah, uh, they even... they us off one by one for weeks. Right. They all even see... They all say things like, oh, boy, those treehouse girls... But then they're not banding together with the other non-treehouse people, and they're just going to get picked off one by one. Yeah, I don't like like Ronnie. I, what are you doing, Ronnie? <laughs> like I understand you're mad that somebody put a thing on there, but like you're 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 going after the wrong grudge here. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. It, it, I found that part really frustrating. I would agree. I, I do think the men's side is more interesting, and also just the the talent level on the men's side is so elite. I mean, it's just. I, I was impressed, by the way. If we're uh, talking elimination, I was impressed with Wes. Um, yeah, he did have some help, but like, yes, is pretty light on his feet. Yes, is a pretty serious competitor, and if I, if I told you, yes, and Wes are going into an elimination. And one of them is going to trash talk himself to exhaustion and ultimately lose. You probably predict it the other way, right? Um, no. I mean, no. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I would have because I just think Wes is too smart to – Wes is obviously not afraid to talk trash and start stuff. Sure. But he's not one that's going to trash talk himself to death. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just – I thought – Yes, his whole – the way he approached this season was goofy. Um, a little bit. It was a little bit goofy. And and I, I think all – you know, beyond the fact that he got eliminated relatively early as a result, I think he also kind of told on himself pretty significantly. Like, he could have been the same yes from season one and not gone out of his way to start stuff with Wes – and I would still believe that he was a purely 
good-hearted, delightful man. But I think he made it pretty clear from the way he handled himself that he's got a little more of an edge than he would like us to believe and that, you know, Wes is right about him. He's a he's a hypocrite. And I'm sure, like, look, it, it his work is like, you know, uh, very uh, society conscious and he does seem like a genuinely good human and people who know him on the show say things like that. And it's not that I don't think he's a good guy, but this pure of heart, I have no challenge sneakiness or sliminess in me thing is a farce. Well, yeah, well, TJ undid it in like four words. Yeah. <laughs> like, tell us how you really feel. Yeah. <laughs> and like, and even let's go see TJ's on to you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that was, you know, TJ, man, he doesn't, uh, he's a man of few words, but he makes oh, the words count. He's so special. I, I, I and I, it before we get off of Wes. Yeah. TJ dropped quite, quite a superlative on, on, uh, on, on, yes, on the way out. He said, and I wrote this down. Yep. My favorite human to ever be on the challenge. That is, I, I mean, you can't get higher praise from, from TJ Lavin than that, no? Yeah, and I think uh, that's that's one of the things I met. And, you know, Veronica, who goes back to their, like, road rules semester at sea season, was like, yeah. he really is just a genuinely lovely guy. So I believe that. I'm not saying that's not true. He really, I'm, I'm sure he is genuinely lovely in some ways, but genuinely lovely people can also be competitive and sneaky when it comes to playing a game that is, by its nature, competitive and sneaky. So I, I, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. Clearly... The people here believe he's a good guy. It's just this idea of him being different from all the other challengers and not – I don't play that way. It's silly. Um, and it was definitely, like, like, exposed. Like, like Wes – you know, I, look, I get why Wes annoys people, and I get why people really want to beat Wes. You should. He's, he's playing a heel, but he's also playing a game. Like, it's yes. not – his, his – provocations or double crosses or or multiple deals and stuff it's all strategic gameplay stuff you and know what i mean it's almost always with a smile right and yeah. and i think that's that's one of the things that has distinguished him and made him so enjoyable to watch is that he really as as much as he loves it and as much as it has been his life in many ways he intimately understands that this is a game and he's doing game stuff and I I just think he's great. I mean, he's my favorite. My my he always has been. My sister who watches this show tells me how much he reminds me or he reminds her of me, um, which probably plays into why I like him so much. But like, how much that the ginger thing though? I'm not a ginger. <laughs> You're not. No. First of all, I'm Jewish. Jewish gingers, it's not even a thing. But second of <laughs> okay. all, like, I plainly do not have red hair. My beard looks a little red sometimes, but I do not have red hair, um, nor, nor like, a preponderance of freckles. Um, my beard my beard gets red. Yeah, and exactly. And I have a of freckles. But you're not uh, a ginger. <laughs> but I'm not a ginger, no. <laughs> anyway, putting that aside. trait in my family, though. Yeah. I, look, I think it's the way he talks reminds her of me frankly um <laughs> right, and, and and the the casual dismissal of other people's intelligence i think is also um 
a thing. Yeah, that and rem- look, he does. He will insult people in an ITM or whatever. But oh, like yeah. I said, if it's all about is just gameplay. And like, yeah. you know, even when he's being selfless, like he was in this episode, it was for him. It was about gameplay. You know, that's what I right. Mean? And and he he even said he he said it in this episode. I'm a troll. Like, yeah. the move I'm gonna make is the troll move. And, you know, he didn't say, but I think obviously goes with that, is whatever move helps him in the game in the long term. Um, but, like, he it's not that he's predictable, but he's consistent. Yeah. I didn't I didn't think him picking yes was su- super surprising, though. They sort no. of made it seem like, oh, he could be going for anybody. Look out! You know? It's like, oh, he's going for exactly the guy that I thought he was going to go for. Great. Yeah. But, again, um, it's all gameplay to him, and he's really, really good at the game. Um but boy, it's just it is it is it, not that yes was a pushover, but like there's just nowhere to go for a, a matchup to win anymore for any of these people on the on the men's side of the bracket. It's it's an absolute murderer's row, and I'm just so excited to watch each elimination play out, like who people pick, and especially now that. You know, whoever gets sent in has a chance to sort of at least, if if not have the game explained, at least see the arena before choosing their opponent. It's going to make it super interesting how people make those decisions and, and who they decide to go against for which things. Yeah, so I, I was pretty underwhelmed in the beginning by the twist when they're just like, the authority's going to have less people in it. I was like, eh. Yeah. Not not big a twist. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> didn't, really, didn't really shake up the game, but but once once they change it to kind of well, no one is safe, and you can pick your opponent. You get to pick your own opponent. Um, that really did feel like a shakeup in in uh, gameplay. That th- that this it looked like this thing was going to need honestly because we were getting to the point where the trios was going to pick off everybody who's not, and we may still be at that where the trios is going to pick everybody off one by one until. Um, there was no one left but themselves, right? Well, but then, I do think from from uh, on the women's side that that I think as much as anything, that's the I don't know if it's the point. I never know how the producers make their decisions, but it seems like a a, a definite goal of this twist is that now, sure, the treehouse can if they continue to win challenges, which you know with seven members, you'd imagine they can set themselves up pretty well to win challenges. Uh, they can go ahead and pick on the other people, but one of them is probably going to get called down there every time. Yeah. There's a potentially now a uh, Mark West, Brad, Nehemiah sort of uh, alliance and the guys that could, I think, sort of upend the, that situation as well. But um, well, here's what's interesting. Uh, probably my second favorite challenger of all time is on this show. And I'm not sure we've mentioned his name once in the few weeks we've been talking about it. Do you know who I'm talking about? We haven't mentioned his name? I don't think we've mentioned his name. He he did use an ITM to casually drop the name of his podcast this week. Well, I don't know. Why, why am I not thinking? Of, I mean, obviously, I know who's... Who is it? Just tell me. Because he's barely been. People have not been paying attention. It's Derek. Oh yeah, I don't. You're right. <laughs> I Derek has been laying real effing low. Yeah, he's been 
Uh, you're, that is that is an excellent point. Now he's sort of in the treehouse, but sort I don't know. How much, I don't know how much that helps him. You but, know what I mean? Uh, no, and, and and also you know Mark sort of casually mentioned that Derek is one of his guys this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think, boy, for a guy who, despite probably being the smallest guy left, nobody wants to get into an elimination with Derek. To fly under the radar so far completely, like no one is even thinking about him, is really kind of impressive. And it, it makes me think he's a little bit more of a threat than uh, we might otherwise pay attention to. I suspect someone's going to call him out soon. Maybe. Uh, because I just the, – sooner or later the size is going to get there because, you know, it's if, if you're looking for a guy who's smaller than you, uh, you're it's either him or Jordan – and I think Jordan is, is clearly scarier in an elimination at this point than Derek is. Not in a as, as, <laughs> as much as as much as Derek has been a king of eliminations in the past and just a insane competitor, you know, I would say that Jordan is the closest spiritual heir to that, and he's you know ten years younger and in better shape. So it's yeah, um, but he only has one hand. So there are some things there, there that. that. That? You know, you would probably pick him, like, again, a pole wrestle. Uh, like, honestly, I don't care who – now, look, Mark and Derek are probably uh, aligned. But, like, if you're MJ and it's a pole wrestle, I, I don't care if he's smaller. You do not want Derek in that. You just don't. <laughs> you don't want that trouble. So, no. and now, I really, again – I hope MJ doesn't find himself in a, in a pole wrestle with a bum knee. You know what I mean? <laughs> Agreed. I, I'm just I'm just saying, like – <laughs> and that's again back to the point that there's just no there's no weak spot to target on the men's side at this point not even close but like I'll, I'll say this Derek might get sent in by somebody but it's hard for me to imagine someone standing in the dirt and saying I want Derek Kaczynski it just is no but I mean it's sooner or later he's gonna be the best available option and I think it's gonna be sooner you know yeah, what I mean you may be right you may be right it, it's fascinating though like I, I it obviously depends on what the eliminations are and, uh, you know, who gets sent in. But having the treehouse behind him doesn't hurt. And, you know, if he is now also kind of aligned with Mark and Brad and Wes, that's going to help as well. So, yeah, at the, there are – I just – every elimination on the men's side should be an absolute banger. And as weird as this sort of elimination was, like it wasn't exactly a head-to-head -head combat sort of thing, like – even this was super intense. They were up there for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why, like, you know, Wes Wested, man, he was smart. Yep. You know what I mean? There was at no point was he, like, pounding stuff until the very end when he thought he might, you know what I mean? It looked like he could, he could, he could knock him off, right? He was just slowly, methodically hanging yep. in there and letting, and letting yes talk. It was, it was, it was brilliant. Yep. Uh, Classic West. I love it's clear, clear MVP for this episode was West. Absolutely. Uh, it, I really hope that, you know, for season four of this, it, it feels like there's going to be a season four, that they, you know, that they keep the same energy on the men's side and bring that women's side up just a little bit more so that we kind of have that same, same sort of depth of strong competitor. They got to get uh -oh. Laurel. Yeah. I agree. They just they got to get Laurel on this show. I don't know what you have to do, but they got to find. I mean, pay her extra. They got to get her here. 
Um, yeah. But if you it's, had, it's, it's pretty clear that that Rachel is, is not that interested in competing. But man, I would, I would, I'd back up the brakes to get her in the show as well. Yeah, I mean, and there's a, there are enough people without them to do better than Beth. You know, like you just you got to do better certainly, than than Beth. Certainly and, that. And frankly, like I have had about enough of Sylvia as well. I find her difficult to uh, enjoy on television. I uh, disagree with you. I like Sylvia. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I thought she was actually pretty good in the ITF this week. Yeah. I just... Her entire, like, persona is a lie. And I think that's what bothers me. Mm, I can see that. Like, she she's does not, make she's... friends in this game. Always. Have you noticed that? Oh, she's always got friends. She's got friends. Right. She's not good, though. No, she's not good. Better. But I, I kind of like people who survive by social game. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But but it's just that I like the people who survive by social game and don't mind admitting it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Like, Sylvia seems desperate to convince the camera that she's good at this game. And it's like, you're not fooling anybody, lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't feel like I picked that up from her. I think she does. I feel like she knows her place, but I could be wrong. She does have friends though. You're not kidding about that. Yeah. No, she comes from the Veronica tradition. I, I you know, Big T has a very different approach, but I think Big T is in that uh-huh. tradition is you know what I mean? Yeah. Although uh-huh. Veronica, to be fair, her first run on the show, she was also decent as a competitor. She, yeah, I mean look, she was always small. Yes, but, um, but she, but she was feisty. better in the in in her younger days as a competitor. Yeah, right? she could she could win some challenges. You know, towards the end, it was all guile, though. You know what yep. I mean? And, and now, certainly now, yeah, a hundred percent brains uh, to keep her here. Yep, and look, she's she's kind of low key thriving in this game, right? Like she's yeah. in the the lines that you want to be in. Yep. you know what I mean. She's in the right spot, and and I don't. And, you know, we haven't necessarily seen a lot of it, but I certainly believe that she is a, a significant in the orchestration of the treehouse. So, um, you know, that could serve her really well as time goes on. I agree with that. But I would, the other thing I would say is this new format does sort of. It makes her a target. Yeah. <laughs> because like, if you know what I mean? if you get Naya or something like that in elimination, like I would imagine she's going for Veronica first. You know what I mean? Well, that's the yeah. thing. I mean, if you look at the treehouse, Veronica is probably the one you'd go for first. And and if, in fact, the treehouse is in control and sending non-treehouse people in, I would expect Veronica to, to be one of the first choices uh, for an elimination yeah. opponent. Although, uh, although if I'm Kellyanne, I think I think I go for Kayla. I think I'm, I'm, thinking I'm trying to. Cut cut the treehouse off of the head a little bit. You know what I mean? And yeah, you know maybe Veronica some of that, but, but I think I think Kayla is like, uh, I think Kayla feels the most like the ringleader in that group to me now. Yeah, well, certainly she's representing herself that way, and and she is playing very aggressively and not entirely stupidly. So credit to her. Um, and I do think, think Kellyanne at the game. As, yeah. as the years go on. I completely agree. And I, I do think Kellyanne is the sort of crazy who might say, you know what, F it. Let's just go for the big dog. Yeah. No, I definitely think Kellyanne is the type. <laughs> and I might, like I said, it might be her best move. I don't know. But, like, Kellyanne, Naya, Ronnie could be, like, a fairly formidable team if they just get their shit together. And, yeah. and it's, like, right in front of them. So it yep. really bothers me that it, that it 
hasn't happened. And throw point. Ronnie in there, right? I mean, these people. I did throw Ronnie in there, yeah. They're all capable competitors who just are living as islands when they ought to be in ar- archipelago, if if you will. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, Naya may be digmatized. <laughs> yeah, but that shouldn't stop her from aligning with other women. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's, that's what I mean. I'm like, where's your head, girl? Yeah, yeah. It's a little yeah. weird. It's a little weird. But who knows? <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll see some uh, something come out of that over the next couple of weeks. Because I, I do think, like, the the format is now, like, where this really, where it, where this really goes wrong for the non-treehouse is if they get sent in and don't pick somebody from the treehouse, at which point we will come on this podcast and just murder all of them. For Yeah, I might reach through my screen and just <laughs> like, stop! What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> I can't handle it. Oh, we do know next week that Naya, something something happens that makes Naya upset while she's topless. So um, Yeah, which uh, does track with Naya's history as I remember it. It, it does. It plays right into my theory. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add about this week's show? No, I think we need to talk a little NBA before we leave. R- R- yeah, I, you know, I did just want to say uh, props to MJ and John A for uh, gracefully handling best nonsense about them. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that could have been a much bigger thing than than it was. You know, because yeah. I think they because they're two adult human beings who were like. We're adults who competed for an entire season together and like each other. That doesn't mean we're and having a fucking have affair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We both have kids. We're both grown-ass people. Like, And, and you know what? To, to their credit, I think they understood that they didn't have to make a big deal out of it because Beth is not credible and nobody takes her shit seriously. Yep, yep. good for them. All right, uh, let's talk hoops. Um, obviously, surprising result. Uh in game one, not necessarily the winner, but the way the way that that went down, yes. I would say, and maybe even in some senses the winner. Like you would think, if if there's any game that Golden State would have an advantage, a built-in advantage in, it's going to be game one at home, playing on rest. And you know what the Warriors do offensively is so different than the teams in the East in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean in terms of iso ball and hunting hunting matchups and like the Warriors don't really do that stuff you nope. know what i mean and, and, and to their credit right and what they do do is a complicated system of, of movement that forces a lot of switches that it seemed like boston at least in the first half was getting wrong a whole lot three quarters right? for yeah. three quarters that's exactly how it played out and and what makes the fourth quarter turnaround even more surprising is that if there was a notable flaw to the Celtics, it's their late game performance. So yeah. the fact that they look, I you know, to me, when the Warriors offense breaks down the way it did in the fourth quarter, it's on the Warriors more often than not. And I think that was the case here. I think they got away from the things that they were doing well, uh, senselessly. But yeah, on the other end, this game to me was not Boston scoring 40 points in the fourth quarter it was the Warriors scoring 16. Correct. But I will say, for a team that has struggled with late-game execution, the Celtics executed spectacularly on offense down the stretch. Um, and part of that was Jalen Brown got a heater. And and that, for people who have not watched much Celtics basketball, Jalen Brown is not always an offensive force. But when he starts to feel it, he has like a an almost kawaii knack 
for just scoring again and again in a way that feels unstoppable. Um, and it's the sort of thing that can happen at any time. So it's it's something the Warriors need to be aware of. But again, the problem for them was less the Celtics 40 and more their 16, not only because they only scored 16 points in the fourth quarter, but because a lot of the things that led them to only score 16 points then played right into the Celtics' hands in terms of getting their own offense going. It was It was the silly turnovers. It was you know, not running the offense the way they did for three quarters. Um, and also just some misses. But yeah, honestly, 16 points, I think, is overstating it because a decent number of those 16 points came after the, the Warriors starters had left the game in, in like the yeah. last minute. So yeah, they um, really just ceased to execute. It was almost as if they finished their third quarter run and thought to themselves, well, we did this one and the Celtics were not done. So it's a huge credit to the Celtics. And and by the way, even though it ended ugly and, and in a, I think, double-digit victory, what a game that was. I mean, what fun it was to watch. Two teams that largely performed at a very high level. And they're so different, and, and they both have so many players that are interesting and talented and different. Um, I loved watching it. I really did. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a fascinating series going forward. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, it's, look, it's hard. It's it's foolish to count the Warriors out at this point. Um, they are, you you could, if, it's a virtual certainty that they are going to win a game in Boston, at least one, right? So I would say so. Uh, uh, yeah, the fact that they gave away the home court advantage, like that, they're capable of getting that back. I just think I feel like particularly in terms of defending the three-point line, not just in the fourth quarter, but really through much of that game, the the Warriors were not their best, no. uh, even even when they had the lead. And 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 some of that seemed a little bit on the effort side. I got to, you know, I, I'm not there. So I'm not going to call it out. You know what I mean? But just as, a, as an observer, um, they did not defend the three-point line with the vigor that um, they normally do. And I, you know, if you're looking around and going, well, you know, Smart and Horford shot the lights out for three, and they're not going to do that all the time. Well, they might if you leave them open every time. Um, yeah, and, and I would also say like there were just a couple of uncharacteristic mistakes in terms of defending the three point line. One that jumps immediately to mind was in the fourth quarter when it was neck and neck, and uh, Jalen Brown already had it going. And I believe it was it was either Tatum or Smart drove into the lane, and Porter uh, Otto Porter was on Jalen Brown on the perimeter and just lost him. Just got caught ball watching, and Brown moved to sort of the the wing closer to the corner and got a wide open three. That I, I can't remember exactly what the score was, but I feel like turned the lead from six to nine with a couple minutes left or something like that. Um, and I think those are the sorts of mistakes that are. A, uncharacteristic, and B, absolute killers. But I will say, Dallas got a lot of open threes. They just missed them. So I, it's not like with the Bucks, where they're just giving you three-pointers, assuming you're eventually going to miss. But the Warriors have given up more open threes over the course of the playoffs than I think they would like to. And I think it's also fair to bring up the, the notion that as much as 
the Celtics are running into a very different style of team than they have seen so far. The Warriors, quite frankly, are running into a very different level of team than they have seen so far in the playoffs. Because yep. between injuries and just general lack of supporting talent, particularly Denver and Dallas, and certainly Memphis once Ja was out, just didn't really have the horses. Boston's yep. got the horses. There's no I question about for, that. I think that's true for both teams, though, just in uh, in that, you know, Milwaukee and Miami were not full-strength Milwaukee and Miami when the Celtics saw them. And the Celtics weren't full-strength either. I'm not saying that, you know, not trying to imply they didn't deserve to win the series or whatever, but... Yeah, but, uh, but those full... This Golden State's team has pretty much everybody back, right? They're as healthy the as they've been part. in months at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think it's going to be interesting to see rotation-wise... You know, like we didn't see, we didn't really like GP two didn't play at all in this game, did he? No, um, I, I think he's the only guy um, that is likely to be a principal change in the rotation. And frankly, like it's hard to know exactly when you get him out there without cutting Jordan Poole's minutes even further. And I don't know, you know, when you score sixteen points in the fourth quarter, I don't know how much you want to cut. Your, yeah. you know, second or third I, best scorers minutes. Um, I it, think I think they're seeing though they might want to go a little bit more defense in the in the fourth quarter. Like Pool got hunted a fair amount. Like any you know, any time Tate could get himself on Pool, they they were doing it right. So yep, uh, yep. And I think it's going to be something they got to figure out. And I'm not like I mean you know you know the Warriors a little bit better than I do, but I would not. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't rule out seeing Moody or Kaminga at some point in this series. You know what I mean? I think that yeah. they might want that athleticism. Uh, Moody, out there, maybe. Uh, uh, I I don't think Steve trusts Kaminga to play the role. I mean, he would basically have to play center, right? And with Horford out there, I, you know, maybe you match up Kaminga with Robert Williams here and there, but I I'd be pretty surprised actually if Kaminga got significant minutes. Um, Moody, <sighs> with Moody, the question is like, how healthy is? Peyton and and how do his first as well well you know Andre is an interesting one because he did hit two big shots and you know he he's still Andre defensively but like yeah, his defense is good I thought I, I at least yeah one. but he there's I don't know he he's he's just he's barely played yeah I, I'm I'm not sure he's as locked in just f- from from a sense of like being comfortable with all the players on the floor and how things go on the other hand, he's so smart and so good at basketball that maybe that stuff doesn't matter. But I do tend to think that Peyton would have been as good, if not better option than Iguodala last night. But look, I don't want to call it a weakness or an issue, but Steve Kerr clearly always has trust issues. And, I mean, if you just look at how short the rotation got in general, and I'll pull up the box score now, but even compared to the conference finals, it was it was just all the the big names, and almost exclusively in this game, they just even even the bench players that did play were not a big part of it. I mean, you, you had 25 minutes for Poole, 24 for Porter, 12 for Iguodala, and otherwise it was the starters the whole way. And yeah. for Draymond, oh, yeah. Steph, Kaminga, and Clay, I just play a minute. I didn't realize. Well, they subbed everybody out in the last minute, but <laughs> oh, oh, you're right. It was the last minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah. Draymond, Steph, Clay were 38, 38, 39 minutes, respectively. And it's just – that's a big workload. Now, I will yeah. say – I. I kind of got his normal rest at the end of the first quarter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he didn't. But he basically didn't come out again after that. Yeah. Um. I. I, I will say I. I don't necessarily agree with you about the the rest issue favoring the Warriors more dramatically in Game One than later in the series. Uh, well, I didn't say more dramatically in the Game One later than later in the series, but uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, like I, I actually or game one. Yeah, see, I actually think game one is probably the place where it would make the least difference. Um, well, I would say if they had played, if, if the Celtics had played game seven two days before, I would probably agree with you. But they also had a few days off. That's what right. I'm so it's not like so it's not like they're coming in super in rhythm. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, but they're not coming in super gassed either. I think as this series goes on chasing the Warriors around the way they have to to defend them and and with the intensity that the Celtics always play defense with has a chance to have a sort of wear down effect on on the Celtics and, and that'll be interesting to watch yeah I did think defensively the Warriors did pretty good job on Tatum who obviously didn't shoot very well yep um but he had 13 assists so I you know is that some of that is a uh, uh a symptom of the Warriors strategically saying we're going to give some guys some open shots to, to to make sure that Jason Tatum doesn't beat us? I think it is. Um, and I think maybe, you know, look, playmaking has not historically been his strength. And I, I do wonder if that was a bit of an eye-opening performance from a Warrior defensive strategy standpoint that, like, maybe just letting Tatum get get going a little bit scoring here and there is better than him getting all the peripheral guys wide open three-pointers. Um so that'll be interesting to, to see from a strategic perspective as we go on. Um, but, you know, even with open shots, uh, Derek White's not going five of eight from three very often. No. No, nope. you could have an empty gym, and I feel like he's not going to five of eight from three very often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but some of those other guys, I you know, I could see it, especially if you're leaving them open every time. Like, Smart is not a – Great three point shooter, but he's pretty good wide open. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. And, and he's certainly guys, confident. You know, Greg Williams too. You know what I mean? Like yep. Rich is a guy who can hit shots and if you leave him open, he can really hit shots. So Yep. Um, um, and and look, I don't know, we haven't said much about him yet, but shout out Al Horford. I mean, I felt really good for Al. You know, he had, before this, as you well know, being an Atlanta Hawks fan, before yesterday's game, Al Horford had played more playoff games than any other person in the history of the NBA without appearing in an NBA Finals. He clearly was ready for his moment, and he was awesome. So, shout out to him. Yeah, he's had some huge games um, this playoffs. Just wish he was doing it in a different uniform. Um, sure, I get that, but but man, I, how do you not like Al Horford? Just seems like yeah. a wonderful guy, a great teammate, um, and he's had a really, I think, special year for, for a guy at his age you know, coming back to a team that he really appreciated the experience with. Like, I just feel, I do feel really good for Al Horford. And look, now that I am unemployed and, and don't have any sort of direct ties to the Warriors, I'm, I'm still rooting for the Warriors. I live in the Bay. I enjoy this team. I've, I've been intimately in and around the franchise for almost a decade. Uh, but honestly, at the end of last night's game, I was smiling. Because it's, you know, the, whether the Warriors win or lose is not life or death to me. And, and I just had so much fun watching it. And I was so impressed with the way the Celtics closed. 
especially because that was the doubt I had. Their ability to close was the doubt I had in them, and certainly it was not an issue last night. Yeah, I, you know, it's it, it's a little, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe this will sound like nitpicking from a guy who who uh, uh, just does not like the Boston Celtics, um, but you know, the the Celtics' problems has have been close and late. And right. And weirdly, this was not a close and late game situation. Like their comeback was so thorough that, uh, you know, that they, they won going away. Right. So well, sort of. But I mean, like. I, I don't know what the technically what close and late is defined as, but last five minutes, I think it's believe it's last five minutes within six points or something like that. OK, well, then I think there definitely was close and late because let me just pull it up. Um, at the 5:21, at at 5:10, Al Horford made the three that put Boston ahead. Yeah, that's about where they put. That's about where they pulled away. It was about five minutes ago. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it was back to back threes from Horford. Then it was excellent defense that you know forced a Draymond a bad Draymond three at one point and a tough Steph three, uh, both of which were missed, and then. You know, it, Al Horford scored eight straight points. So it was yeah. almost like Al Horford said, you know, we're not close and late's not going to be a problem right now because I'm going to take care of this. And and he even had the assist on the Marcus Smart three that really ended the game with about three minutes left. Um, it's one of those uh, it's one of those weird games where like the win probability line like almost goes straight up. You yeah. know what I mean? From from the bottom to the top. It, it happened fast. You know what I mean? It really did. Uh, and And again, like even though I – I'm generally rooting for the Warriors, and frankly, I would still pick the Warriors to win the series. Um, I had so much fun watching this, and I, I was impressed by the Celtics, and I, I enjoyed their performance. I just, I'm very excited to watch the rest of this finals, and I, I hope it goes six or seven games. Yeah, well, I think it, it feels, it certainly feels ticketed for that. Although, look, if the Warriors don't win Game Two, but um, <laughs> they put themselves in a real uphill road. Yeah, man. If they um, don't win game two, I'm not going to come on the podcast and say, I still think they're going to win the series. I'll tell you that much. I had Celtics in seven in the beginning of this, and uh, wow. I, I feel comfortable rolling with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, I can't really fault anyone who picks any outcome in six or seven games because there are so many interesting aspects to what's happening here. It really feels like it could go either way. Yeah, I, and look, I think the, the Celtics, the Celtics' versatility and physicality uh, is going to be a real problem. It's going to be a real problem for the Warriors. Well, and I think that's one of the questions you have to ask: is is the sixteen point fourth quarter in part a product of the war of the the Celtics being extra aggressive and physical all night long? Um, because look, I. The Warriors' offense worked better in the first three quarters as the ball moved around and the players moved around, and they they got a little stagnant in the fourth, which sometimes happens independent of anything else. Like, sometimes that just happens. But I think it would also be fair to interpret it as they were beat up by the fourth quarter, and and it's harder to run around and move and move the ball when you're all beat up. I don't – yeah, I don't – to me, I don't feel like the the fourth quarter part of it was was a big variable. I think there's just going to be some stretches that um, the, the you know the, the the Boston kicks the Warriors' ass a little bit, and vice versa. But um, you know, like you're you're going to see some of those. And if you look at the, right, like the Warriors scored four, uh, 32 in the first, 22 in the second, 38 in the third, and 16 in the fourth. Like that's kind of 
they, you know, they go a little up and down like that sometimes, you know what I mean? And down just sort of came at the wrong time for them, the exact wrong time in, in this particular game. So, uh, yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not quite where Draymond is at. Like, ah, no problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, eh, they got hot when it happens. Like, I'm not quite like that. I do think there's a little bit of a problem, but I don't think it's an unsolvable problem either. So, no, and um, and that's what's great. Uh, like, the you know, series are going to be fascinating. You know? Yeah, and look, if the Warriors had had you know ridden that third quarter to a victory, I think we would say the same of the Celtics, right? Like, look, the Warriors cause problems. <laughs> they cause problems for yeah. everybody, but none of these are unsolvable problems either way which is why it feels like it should be such a good series. Yep. And, you know, you got two good teams whose strengths match up well against each other. No doubt. So I'm excited. Uh, like I said, like I said, I think it's going deep. Um, and, yeah, I'm going to stick with Celtics in seven. All right, let's do some homework because my uh, theoretical short podcast uh, flew past us about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> well, I knew it was good when you're like, we got to talk about this basketball. Yeah. Like, all right, see you later. But, um, all right. Uh, here's what we got for homework. Uh, there's a new FX uh, miniseries, limited series, I guess you would say is what we call those now, mm. uh, about Sex Pistols called yeah. Pistol. It is directed by Danny Boyle of Train Spotting Fame, we talked about earlier, yeah. uh, and many other movies as well. Um, and it stars and, uh, my beloved Maisie Williams, among others. Oh, that's cool. I've watched a couple. I haven't, haven't, don't think I've gotten to her yet. Oh, um, oh okay. You're working ahead. Yeah, well, you know, it was on last night. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it, it's a good one. And, uh, you know, it plays plays right in our hands, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got a new season of The Boys that dropped today. Uh, so we'll check out a couple of those. Uh, Norm MacDonald has a, a Netflix special uh, called Nothing Special that was taped, I believe, in, like, in his house. Um, and and, and uh, must have been taped rather close to him passing so um hopefully it's good yes it's getting very good reviews here i hear it's quite quite good so he really is uh, excited about he he, you know he's one of the more unique stand-up comics we've ever had so i'm excited for that yes and then also on netflix uh we are we are putting an adam sandler movie in homework um it's called hustle um and it's uh, uh got a lot something to do with basketball because <laughs> there's a lot of NBA dudes in it, um yep. and uh, and I'm very curious and look Adam Sandler and basketball paid off uh, once for us already so why not right sure yeah it, it I think <laughs> it may have, uh, you know my which may vary on how well it paid off but yeah it was pretty good last time so let's see what we got. I think this is going to be a very different movie from that. From yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, we'll check out Hustle as well. So Pistol the Boys, Norm McDonald, Nothing Special, and Hustle, that is your homework for this week. I'm going to go do some work now. All right. I'm uh, probably just going to play with the dogs. All right, fine. <laughs> Bye. This game's in the Admiral Refrigerator. The door is closed. The light's out. Butter's getting hard, the eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. So long, everybody. And do me a favor, have yourself a tremendous evening.